as I was in the ether, if you will. Um, I dreamed throughout the night, and this was true, um, that the only thing that mattered, the only thing that mattered, the thing I must attend to, that we must attend to, because it was for us, is that final purpose that Jesus first attended to. It's the giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The gift of knowing and loving God in the power of God, in his self-knowing of himself. Like this intimacy of his, his initiative towards us in the spirit that we might become in him overflowing in the spirit to others. Like this idea of the Holy Spirit. I was just possessed with that. And that, these are the words that just came. That's what we have to attend to. I really felt that conviction. And then and in the midst of that conviction, which was like a long, t- you know how when you have a math test the next day and you're going over and over in your mind to think? That's for whatever reason. It was all about the Holy Spirit that night. And then um, a picture came near the late morning. I was on, I was in like a fjord valley, which is great. I'm Norwegian, so I love fjords. (laughs) And this particular fjord, it reminded me of one that I had seen many years ago when I was in Norway. And it's idyllic. I mean, it's almost like a 3D miniature. It's just so profoundly beautiful. You've got these, these, um, these valleys that come down and then there's this, it looks like a huge body of water, but basically it's an inlet from the ocean, but it's pretty calm because it's sort of like, there's like a horseshoe of land that's coming all around it and it's lush. 
and it's full of green, verdant, um, like pasture-like territory. It's very pastoral. And you've got the, the lambs on the side that are feeding on it, and you've got the goats with the bells, and of course they can walk on steep parts and, you know, I don't know how they do that. They have that uncanny balance. And so there, there's this fjord valley and I'm seeing it and then I'm coming, kind of moving down in it towards the shore where there's this body of beautiful placid water in this beautiful green valley with a blue sky and it's early morning. And right there on the shore is this Reredos, which is like a backdrop for an old cathedral. You know, if you go into a cathedral these days, um, you'll still see what they call the Reredos. And the Reredos is that, so it would be like right there, right? And typically you would be looking east. That's why I like this building, because you're looking east and you see this backdrop. And a lot of times you're gonna have saints and angels and archangels. And the idea is that there's this very thin veil between this world and the next. And that's to remind you that in Christ, in the spirit, when we're worshiping as we properly should, that veil gets very thin. And we begin to encounter God there. On well, this particular Reredos, it was an interesting scene because um, there were no paintings, there were no sculptures, as I would have expected. But this is just a, almost like a, a suggestion that was given through the play of light and shadow of an ancient father blessing an ancient son blessing a man in front of him. So there's like this threefold blessing. And the blessing was in the shape of a dove, like this almost, like you could see this expression of the Holy Spirit. And um, I realized that it was just another pictorial way of saying that dove, which is an image of the Holy Spirit in scripture, is so important and it's what God wants to give to us he wants us to enter into that life in the spirit so that we can properly worship, so that we can actually be the full, fully alive human beings that we're meant to be, reflecting the image of God and the likeness of God. You know, uh, we are refracting light and the play of light and shadows in our life is supposed to be an expression of God and it's supposed to be an expression of the Holy Spirit and that is the key to everything. That was the sense I had. This is the ancient key of fruitfulness and dominion. So what I wrote right down in my journal. And it was being shared once again. That we were meant to enter into this worship in the midst of creation. We're meant to actually lead creation in worship. We're supposed to be worship leaders. The way the scripture describes it is we're supposed to be royal priests. Man and woman together leading all of creation and worship of the one true living God who has made it possible by his spirit to know him and to love him as he should be loved and to obey him as he should be obeyed. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit and fully alive. It's what Jesus was so excited to deliver to us, that over, overflowing abundant life in the spirit and it was just up to us whether we would return to that and we would return to that way of being, that anointing, that, that outpouring, that continuous oil that glistens with light that is the Holy Spirit. Those are all images from scripture. And it's the Lord that wants us to do it. One of the things that is so clear when Jesus is baptized and the dove descends upon him is that the Father's pleased with him. 
And it's in that pleasure, that delight that the Father's taking in the Son, that Jesus begins his life of prayer and victory in the world. Goes first in the desert, establishes that holiness in his own earthly frame, if you will, and then extends it beyond his own body into the world through the disciples and into the world through the work of the church then in the power of the Spirit. And that favor is what started it all. The favor of the Father. The dove is the Father's favor. The dove is the Father's joy in his children. The dove is the Father's pleasure and delight in his children. And when we really receive that, we're really receiving the Holy Spirit. And when we really receive that and live that out, we're people of light. Occasionally, the disciples would catch a glimpse of that in Jesus when he would be transfigured before them. And then occasionally, the disciples themselves would be almost transfigured so that, like they would say of Peter, and I, 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 this one, I love this little anecdote about Peter that, you know, he, he was initially the guy that was afraid, right? He was so afraid that in the darkness, talking to a slave girl, he couldn't confess Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit came, he was able to confess the Lord in front of thousands. And he was a man of great power and a man of great wisdom, even though he was uneducated because he was so full of the Spirit. He was so alive. And he was so alive in the light of Christ that even when his shadow would pass over somebody, they would be healed. I mean, what kind of stature he had. This frightened man become a person who is so full of light that even his shadow communicates healing. He has become a person who knows how to relate to God in truth, relate to God and offer right worship of him, reflecting fully, and offer love and healing to others. So I guess what I am realizing at the outset of our, um, of our teaching on what does it mean to be fully alive is that in many respects, it's about coming back into that right relationship with God, which, which is a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit. And then when we do that, what are we ultimately expressing to God is worship. And it's right worship. And we don't often worship rightly. We don't pay attention to God. We, in fact, we don't give thanks to God. We don't receive our lives, the Holy Spirit, in a way that expresses then gratitude that is just the joy that's natural to having his favor, expressing the thanksgiving that's natural to having received his blessing and his pleasure in us. You remember um, what it's like when you're a kid and if you've got little kids, you still see this. This is one of the things that Lewis says when he talks about the weight of glory because everything I'm talking about is our weight of glory. It's a, Paul, a, a phrase from Paul, but he says this about you know, our weight of glory, it's kind of like, it is sort of like having fame with God. It's like he, he looks at you and he thinks, they're great, I love them. You know, and, and um, he wants us to enjoy that. And it's like the little child who, before they know to be self-conscious, they actually really want to please their mom and dad. Did I do good? Did I do good? And dad's like, yeah, you did good. And I was like, yeah. I did. I really did good. <laughs> and that joy thing is so infectious, isn't it? You see this innocent pleasure that the child is taking and having fame with their father or their mother. And that glory is a reflection 
of right relating to their parent. And when we're rightly relating to God, we'll receive his favor, and we'll receive his spirit. And we'll be like that child, first of all, just enjoying it. We'll be enjoying it. Um, One of the things I wanna say that's true about us when we are fully alive is that we enjoy and then we give thanks. This is at the heart of what it means to be a human being. Um, One of the passages that we'll probably return to in the midst of our series here is one that we did not read, so I'll just read it really briefly here because it speaks to the problem of not being this way but also the call to return to it. And it's in Romans, the very beginning um, chapter of Romans, starting at verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Everything that I've been saying is about how the truth gets manifest. And when we are manifesting the truth of who we are, we reflect his light, we enjoy it, and we give thanks for it. That's truth. Well, when we are stuck in unrighteousness, we're suppressing that glory. We're suppressing that truth, that reality, that fully alive reality. We're suppressing it. And it's because of our condition after the fall. Because that which is known about God, that's evident from from the beginning within us, Paul says in Romans. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So it's like we realize, like there's this wonder that surrounds us in creation. And that's a reflection of God. So actually, we're, we're without excuse, Paul says, not to reflect that wonder in gratitude. And this is speaking of Adam and Eve, and therefore all humankind. He says it this way, we're out without excuse. For even though they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, the things that they looked upon. Their foolish heart was therefore darkened. They did not, even though they knew God, honor him as God or give thanks. These are words that we use in worship all the time. They did not worship him. They did not make Eucharist to him. These are the Greek words that become part of our worship here as we return to this way of being. As royal priests, we're returning to this way of actually giving thanks and honoring him as God so that our hearts are no longer dark and darkened and darkening. But because they failed to do that, professing to be wise, pretending really, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And he goes on from there, like how destructive it is when we don't properly reflect God, when we don't properly worship him, when we don't properly enjoy his blessing and his favor and his delight and then return thanks to him as God, as Father. This is at the heart of what it means to be a human being. This is what it means to be fully alive, is to enjoy this blessing and to offer praise and thanks. Um, I wanna say just maybe a couple things here before I finish, because I have a very practical way that I'd like us to begin to work this out as a church, and I'll disclose that to you in a second, and um, then I'm gonna uh, pull that into our service just a little bit later. But, 
what we will realize as we go through the next few weeks, we're gonna unfold it this way. I, I think I wanna always put everything that I say about what does it mean to be fully alive in the context of it means to give praise and thanks according to who God really is and according to who we really are. It means to take everything in creation and in its proper place, turn it into a symphony of praise directed to God. So that means we have to be fully oriented to him. So that's the first thing is that we're oriented to God. A lot of times we talk about orientation in this culture and then we, we define it so down we don't define it as primarily being related to God. We define it as being related to all kinds of other things. Our power, our sexuality, our vocation in our work in the world. And fundamentally, our identity is to be oriented to God. That's what I've been talking about this morning. And when we get that right, a lot of other things begin to fall into place. When we don't get that right, a lot of other stuff gets really corrupt and weird and messed up. And we see the kind of stuff we've seen in the last few weeks on full display in our culture. And it's tragic, and it's disturbing, and it's upsetting for all different reasons. So we have to get that right, first of all, is that everything begins and is centered in and flows out from this orientation to God as people, as men and women, made to reflect his image and to worship him in that. The second thing that you see in creation is that the pinnacle of creation is the making of man and the making of woman. The woman is the ultimate expression of that, right? She's the kind of the glory of the glory. One of the ways that the early church would define um, uh, what I've been talking about, uh, this idea of the royal priesthood of men and women, is they would say um, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's where we get our sermon series from. This is, um, by the way, it's Irenaeus if you're interested. The glory of God is man fully alive. And the glory of man is the vision of God. Well, the, the glory of God that sees its expression in man fully alive doesn't really happen until Adam and Eve are there together in the garden, collaborative and then there's this outburst of praise from um, Adam. He's been looking at all of creation, he's making sense of it, he's naming it, if you will, we'll talk about that later in, in future sermons, but he, he doesn't see anybody for himself. He can see that there's male and female beavers and male and female giraffes, and they have a way of being fruitful and multiplying, but there's no one who's fitted to him. And God says it's not good for a man to be alone. And while he's sleeping from his side, Adam doesn't do anything by this. You know, he's sleeping. He's asleep. And the Lord draws forth from his side. One of the ways you could understand this in the Hebrew is like it takes really the entire half of him in a sense. A lot of times we translate that as rib. But there's a sense of the, the, the equal dignity of the woman. And then Adam in a fit of praise. And it really is an expression of praise. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is somebody who's like me, who has the same strengths, the bone of my bone, and the same vulnerabilities, the flesh of my flesh. And here she is. Whoa. And now I know who I am because I see her. You know? 
he basically says, I'm man, and he, he doesn't ever understand himself as man until he says, she's woman. Is and Isi in the, in, the, in the Hebrew, but there's this play on words. He doesn't realize who he is until he sees her. But the glory of creation, this is where if you cobble together the first and second chapter of, of Genesis, the glory of creation that starts off good, good, good every single day, right? Remember how the creation story goes? God comes to the end of that day and says, it's good. Looks at it, it's good. And then begins another day. Well, there is a very good that happens related to the creation of man, male and female. But there's a, there's a not good that happens before that really is fully enjoyed and fully stated as very good. And it's the creation of woman. Let us make man in our image and he makes them male and female. And it, so the second thing I want to say is that everything about this royal priesthood is a together royal priesthood. It's first of all oriented to God, and then secondly, it's together. And there, you can't enjoy what I'm talking about. And you cannot live out the royal priesthood unless there's a full reflection of God carried out in the being and the doing of male and female. And the epitome of that is the husband and wife relationship that even Jesus talks about. By the way, there's all kinds of brokenness in this. One thing I want to pull out about the gospel today is we always define meaning and reality and purpose in life on the basis of exceptions. That's the problem that you see with the Pharisees coming to him and saying, what about the divorce? Well, when you're, when you're hard of heart, in other words, you refuse to receive the goodness and the glory that God has for you. That's hardness. You see this tragically sometimes in marriages where one person adamantly refuses to repent of maybe abuse or neglect or something like that. Well, Jesus says we don't build our vision for what it means to be fully alive on those exceptions to God's blessing. We build our vision for what it means to be fully alive on what God intended from the beginning, that we be together that we be loving together, that we honor the creation by being fully together and treating each other with equal dignity. Male and female, they're very different. There's distinctions, we'll talk about that. But it's together that this wonderful vision of the glory of God and being fully alive is manifest. And then the last thing is, I just wanna say it this way, is when that starts to happen, it's all for more. It ends up being for an expansion of this glory and an incorporation of all of creation into this glory. That's because royal priests are, they're leaders in worship. Creation's supposed to be full of worship. And um, we're kind of, that's sort of a mute thing. I mean, the ancients sort of thought of the, the music of the spheres. And I think when we begin to listen with ears that have been unplugged, and we begin to see with eyes that have been cleansed and opened, we begin to realize that the glory of creation, it's suffused with God's splendor. It's there. And we're meant to lead all of creation in worship. And so we're, that's part of what it means to bring it under our dominion, right? It's not to, like, control and use. This is what, that's what happens when things fall apart. You see, we even treat one another as objects when things fall apart. But when you do dominion in the way that God has, it's a gathering together in worship and a gathering together for increase. 
everything about this first one or two chapters of Genesis, and, and it goes further than that, is about coming into the presence of God in like a temple garden. It's what we call paradise or Eden. It's a temple garden. It's a place where things are supposed to grow. It's a place that's supposed to expand. We're supposed to increase and multiply and fill it, but we're also supposed to increasingly expand the reaches of that temple garden and pull more and more of creation into this praise of God that I've been describing. And when Adam and Eve failed to properly honor God as God and give him thanks and praise, a lot of this started to fall apart. But when it gets returned back to its original purpose, then there's actually a possibility of very creative, very beautiful things happening. And so we'll talk about how it is that man and woman together, not only themselves offer praise and how themselves become full of light, but then begin to organize all of their lives and all of the creatures in that, including their children in this chorus of praise. I think I'm gonna close in prayer, um, but before I do that, what I wanna say is, it, at the center of this is this praise and thanksgiving, right? I, I hope that's really come across. And I'm gonna change one aspect of our culture in the church in a very explicit way in order to begin to reflect what I'm talking about. Um, we've started doing this in our small groups, but I want us to have a practice of seeing and enjoying life as God gives it to us and then offering up praise and thanks for it. Um, you can call this appreciation stories. You could call it testimony. It's what the early church and, well, actually my Pentecostal upbringing, they often talked about testimony. And it's bearing witness to the goodness of God in different ways. Um, so you're gonna see in the, in the next few weeks, beginning today, I've asked Tim if he would um, share with us one of his thanksgivings. It's his chance to share with us something that he's grateful for that reawakens in us when we really hear it and receive it from Tim. And, he said, and I love the way he tells his appreciation stories. It starts to open up your own heart. And you're like, man, Tim is really grateful for what he's experienced. And me listening to that with ears wide open and a heart wide open, I start to get bigger. And the light that's like coming from him, it starts to fill into my own heart. And it just becomes a self-propagating, joyful thing. And it helps all of us enter back into this way of praise and thanksgiving, which is really who we are meant to be in the most beautiful and profound way. So um, you'll see we'll do that instead of an offertory. It's a perfect time for us to give thanks and share ways and specific ways that the Lord has blessed us that we wanna share with one another and hopefully encourage all of us to enter back into this way of being worshipful being not just wise people, but worshiping people. Lord, we thank you so much for the, the gift of your redemption, the gift of your renewal of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that this morning that um, our hearts would indeed be opened, and um, I pray that you would use our confession time to tear down the closures, Lord, to tear down the things that have kept us from entering into thanks, to tear down, Lord, the sins of others against us or our own sins, so that we can come back to your cathedral of praise. Lord, I pray that your light and your shadow would so um, uh, fill our lives that we would really be people of such blessing. We'd be people who bless you and who bless others. 
in true worship and in true witness. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that today is a day where we celebrate and we give you thanks. I pray that it would rise up out of us. It would just surge up and out of us. And then through us, Lord, more of the world would see your light to the blessing of your holy name. Amen.